Welcome to the City View Community Church Podcast. Whether you're here for our weekly sermons, leadership chats, or conversations about life, we are stoked that you are here. If you want to know more of our story or want to partner with us, head over to cityviewcc.com. Our prayer today is that you walk away challenged, encouraged, and more passionate about discovering your purpose by knowing God, loving people, and living on mission. Let's jump right in. I mean, how cute is that? I love her little smile right before she says it the first time because she knows in her little two-year-old brain, this is going to be funny. And hey, I think we understand the idea of us imitating as babies, but the reality is imitation is one of the greatest ways that we learn and grow in our lives. And the reality is we actually do this as an adult. There are people in our lives that we imitate their leadership. We imitate the way that they interact with people. We, we connect with them. We're, we're inspired by them. And all of a sudden, we start to do those same things in our lives. It's one of the, the greatest ways that we learn is to see something we admire, something we aspire to be. And then we, we start to imitate that in our lives. We learn their habits. We learn their behaviors. And, and this is such a cool part of the way that God wired us because he knew we were, we were like this. He knew that the fabric of our DNA was to imitate and learn. And that's why he sent Jesus to us. Jesus as our model. Jesus as our mirror. Jesus as our redeemer. And it's this awesome opportunity that we have to connect with Jesus in a way that's so much deeper. But look at this truth. God didn't create us just to listen to Jesus's words, but to imitate his life. So many times we prioritize what Jesus taught, but we fail to prioritize how he lived. We have the opportunity to imitate that in our lives. In the infamous weeks leading up to March of 2020, the season we all know as doomsday of of COVID hitting the planet, I came across this practice within the Jewish culture that just rocked me to the core. It just was so fascinating to, to understand this piece of Jesus's upbringing, part of his culture. Now, I had no idea that in the weeks to follow, I would be living this out in a really practical way as the world shut down and and we had to shift towards this type of discipleship, this type of development. But the beauty of this practice that I'm going to share with you is that we're called to do this in our lives. So this practice, what would happen in the Jewish culture, the kids would go to school from ages 5 to 12, and their textbook was actually the Torah. It was the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. And then what would happen is at the age of 12, the best of the best would continue on in their education. They would attend this second level of classes from ages 13 to 15. And then this exclusive group was pulled from those 13 to 15-year-olds for another level, the final level, that was extremely exclusive, and and it lasted the longest from age 15 to 30, this 15-year period of time. 
And what would happen is in order to participate, a rabbi would invite you to be a part of this process, this development process that would lead to the potential of you becoming a rabbi at the age of 30. And they called this process, those who were chosen in this group, they were the Talmudim. And the Talmudim, would, they would eat food the same way that the rabbi did. They would go to sleep the same time that the rabbi did. They would wake up in the morning the same time that the rabbi did. They, most importantly, they would read the Torah and, and understand God's word just like their rabbi did. And it was this picture that was painted about this process for the Talmudim, that the dust from the sandals of the rabbi would be on the feet of the Talmudim. That this dust would pass to him because they were walking side by side through life for 15 years. Everywhere that the rabbi went, the Talmudim followed. Everywhere that he, st- he stayed and he, he slept and what he learned and what he did and who he connected with, Talmudim followed and they learned. And the dust from his feet, from everywhere he walked, would be on theirs. It was this transferable development and connection with God. And it was this beautiful picture of what it looked like because this is, this is what Jesus did with his disciples. Now, he didn't have 15 years to do this with him. For, for three years, every day, they, they woke when he woke and they slept when he slept. They connected with him. They traveled with him. They learned from him. The dust from his feet got onto theirs. And it was this, this connection of understanding him daily and understanding how he was wired every moment of the day. And as I was reading this, I felt like the Lord made it clear that this is what we're called to as a church. This is what we're called to do in our lives, that we want to be a place where we're walking side by side with people, that we're learning and growing and and developing and connecting with Jesus in a way that the, the dust from our journey heading towards Jesus is getting on the feet of other people because we're bringing them alongside of us, that they're they're a part of our story, that they may not be at the same connection level as we are with Jesus, but they're right next to us, experiencing us and and seeing this. And we can help them see our teacher, Jesus, in practical ways, in the way that we handle success, in the way that we handle failure, in the way that we handle struggles, in the way that we handle loss, the way that we handle chaos, all of those things. We get to walk side by side with people and their lives are impacted, just like the Talmudim. You see, this was a picture in Jesus's mind as he spoke the greatest challenge that we were given, the Great Commission. As he was heading back to heaven after he rose from the grave, he left every one of his followers in that moment and every one of us as followers of him for generations to come, this challenge in Matthew 28. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says, therefore, go. That word go was por you you or my. That meant as you continue on this journey. 
Jesus says, as you continue on this journey, make disciples, make Talmudims, have people in your life that the dust from your feet as you're heading towards Jesus, that it gets on their feet, that their lives are being impacted by your life. This is what Jesus has called us to do, to go and make disciples. But this is, this is where many times we get things confused about discipleship. And honestly, I blame us as a church because so many times we, we make it feel really, really complicated. But if you just boil it all down, I just want you to grab a hold of this definition of discipleship because it's so true and it just leads you in the right direction. Discipleship is continually moving toward Jesus. Continually moving toward Jesus. That's it. Discipleship is not a class that you pass. Discipleship is not a, a book that you read. And, and we use all of those things. We, we use those as resources to be able to help jumpstart that journey for you. But at the end of the day, discipleship is continually moving towards Jesus. Discipleship is waking up every day with the intention and the action to head toward Jesus. It's so important. The reason why is, is, did you know that in 2018, the Pew Research Center found that 90% of the U.S. believed in God or some kind of higher being? 90%. Yet our lives, our churches, our, our government, our nation does not reflect this. It does not reflect it. And, and even if the numbers have shifted over the last five, six years, like maybe it's changed. Maybe now it's, it's 80%. That still means that eight out of 10 people believe that there's something bigger and greater than what we can see. They believe in God. They believe in some higher being. So why, why is that not reflected in our culture? Why is that not reflected in the way that we live our lives? Why are things heading the way that they're heading? And if I were to be honest with you, I believe because there is a monumental lack of discipleship. There's a crisis within the church, within our culture of discipleship. We don't do this. We don't do it well, and many people don't do it at all. The numbers say that over 90% of Christians will never lead another person to Jesus. 90%. That's a problem. And it's not a problem because we don't have the right words and we don't, we don't have the training and we don't have the resources. It's a problem because we don't understand what Jesus asked us to do. He says, go and make disciples. He didn't say, hey, go and everybody preach. He said, go and make disciples. Go and do what I did. What did he do? He, he got some dudes alongside of him where the dust from his feet would get on theirs. Discipleship. You see, in our, in our world, in our culture, I believe that there are three main categories that people fall into when it comes to their, their interaction and connection with God. The first one, I believe, there are those who believe in God, but they do not know him. They believe in God. This 80, 90 percent 
of our country that says there, there's got to be something. There's someone, something up there. They, they believe in God, but they, they don't know him. There's no connection. This, this group, some of the attributes is that they know enough to kind of do some things that look religious or, or maybe they go to church once or twice a year. They, they go at Christmas and Easter because it's kind of, kind of part of our culture. And I guess we need to go. And those are important days to kind of show up. People who believe there's a God, but they don't know him. They have kind of like goodish morals. They, they try to do some good things, try to not be crazy. But at the end of the day, really, they just, they don't want their kids to be jacked up. Like that's, that's when you see a lot of people start to kind of, I, I kind of went to church when I was a kid. So now I had kids, maybe we should do this kind of church thing. But the reality is, is they may go to church sporadically, but it, they never really lean into it. They never really like surrender their lives to Jesus. It's easily, it's, it's easy to, to convince them to change their morals or change their values based on kind of what they feel or, or what's happening in the world around them. And listen, if that's you today, I just want you to know that when Lauren and I started this church, we had you in mind. We had you in mind. Those of you who wake up that, that you feel like, I just, I feel like there has to be more to life than this. God called us to this mission. God called us to this city to reach those people who are desperate to connect with their purpose. They're desperate to, to understand why they wake up in the morning. They're desperate to, to know that there's gotta be more to life than just making sure my kids don't make really dumb decisions and, and that they, they can make enough money to survive when I'm gone. Like, there's got to be more than that. Like, this church, our family, we're here for you. You are always invited to sit at the table with us any day, any time. You're why we're here. And God has been trying to get your attention for years, and he desperately wants you to know him better. And it's not just believing that he exists, but that you will get to know him. The second group are those who are informed about God, but not transformed by him. Listen to the words in Galatians. Galatians 4, before we knew God as our father and we became his children, we were unwitting servants to the powers that be, which are nothing compared to God. But now that we truly know him and understand how deeply we're loved by him, why would we even for a moment consider turning back to those weak and feeble principles of religion as though we were still subject to them? Why would we want to go backwards into the bondage of religion? Paul, as he's, he's writing this, he's, he's, he's telling the church, listen, you remember those religious leaders that were around Jesus, that they just made it more complicated? They were actually the ones who, who ended up killing him on the cross. You remember those guys? Like, we don't have to go back to that lifestyle, this legalism and this, this idea of, of doing these rituals and religious things in order to look the part on the outside, but not actually understanding who we are in Jesus. He says, we don't have to go back to that bondage. And this group who are informed about God, 
but they're not transformed with him. If I'm honest with you, this is one of the most dangerous groups in our culture. This is one of the most dangerous groups because this group knows enough to really confuse people. They know enough scripture to, to make it sound really great. They know enough about, about God to allow the enemy to kind of twist their understanding. And they start to, to pass out some really jacked up theology. And some things that are half truths about Jesus that are not the full truth. This is a dangerous group. There, there's a label that, that I heard for this group about 15 years ago. And when I heard it, it absolutely wrecked me. It's this label called the Christian atheist. It's those who believe God exists, but live as if he doesn't. This group of people, they're, they're marked by doing whatever it takes to kind of alleviate their guilt, but they never actually allow God to change their heart. This group may go to church regularly. They show up regularly. They look the part, but they haven't allowed Jesus to truly transform their lives. They're informed about him, but they're walking around like the religious leaders. Just dangerous. And, and taking what was meant to be good and turning it to hurt other people. This group, they, they gauge their morals by comparing themselves to other people. Wow, well, I, I mean, I'm not as bad as Susie. I mean, did you see what Susie was doing last week on Instagram? Did you see what was happening there? Like, they, they gauge their morality. They gauge their walk with God. They gauge all of this based on, well, I'm not that bad, so I must be doing pretty good. It's a dangerous place. They only turn to God when they're in a bind. The relationship with God is non-existent until chaos breaks out. They, they will even claim Christianity, but have not been transformed by the gospel of Jesus. They know a whole lot of stuff, just enough to be dangerous. It's kind of like me with like, I know how to do some stuff like tech-wise, but when it gets to like some deeper stuff, I know I, I don't handle that. But imagine, imagine if, if I was like, you know what? I played a flight simulator one time on, on the PS4. I can land this 747. Like, I totally can. This is what this group does. They, they have this information. They have these, these experiences. And they're like, oh, yeah, I can, I can lead all. And it's like, whoa, that is not Jesus. That is not what's happening. They're informed about God, but they're not transformed by him. Number three. Those who know God intimately and they serve him wholeheartedly. Now notice something. Notice I didn't say they serve him perfectly. They serve him without any doubts. They serve him better than poor Susie that we're picking on. No, no, no. It says those who serve him with their whole Jesus is not asking for perfection. Jesus is not asking for us to get it right every single day. Jesus says, will you get to know our father intimately? And will you serve him with your whole heart? 
so many times we miss out on how God wants to, to use us because we think, well, I'm not ready to disciple somebody. I don't, I don't know enough scripture. I don't, I'm still struggling with X, Y, and Z. I, I don't, I can't preach. I don't even know if I'm doing this prayer thing right. And you, you start to justify all these reasons why your life can't make an impact on somebody else's. But have you ever thought about the motley crew that Jesus put together? Have you ever thought about his disciples? He didn't, he didn't go and go, let me, let's see, let's find the best of the best. Let me, let me find all the doctors. Let me, let me find some preachers. Let me, let me find some, some rulers of the land. No. Jesus's inner three, Peter, James, and John, his like closest, the ones that experienced even more than the other disciples, they were hot-headed James and John were called the the sons of thunder because they were always ready to fight. They were ready to take somebody out. They were glory hungry. They were always arguing about which one was greater than the other. Who's going to get to sit at the right hand of Jesus? No, I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. No, and back and forth, back and forth. Like these guys would speak before they thought they were riffraff. But the most common trait in the first disciples of Jesus was willingness. Willingness. And that's what I want you to understand. That discipleship is continually moving towards Jesus. And the attribute that you just need to to fight for is not perfection. It's willingness. Hey, Jesus, here I am. Choose me. I'll mess up. I'll I'll trip along the way, but there's no way I'm going to stop coming after you. You see, you make disciples by your example and by your words. Paul said it perfectly in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Family, it's about a willingness to continually Move toward Jesus. And if you're doing that, you are called to be a disciple maker. You're called to bring people alongside of you on this journey to see Jesus at work in your life. In the couple minutes that we have left, one of the trainings that we went through as we were planting the church, it taught us the power and the simplicity of discipleship. And in the few minutes that we have, I want to challenge you to do these in your life. And, And I want you to think about the people who fall into each one of these categories in your life. And as you do that, I believe it'll help you recognize that you're you're having more impact than you can imagine. But when it comes to this process of discipleship, this is one of the simplest easiest ones to get your hands around, and you can start it immediately. All right, let's jump in the couple minutes we have. The first one is this, recognize that discipleship begins with making people positively aware of you. Making people positively aware of you. The on-ramp to discipleship is simply be nice to people. (laughs) Like that's, that's it. Be nice, be approachable, be friendly. 
It never ceases to amaze me how many people believe that yelling at someone or calling them an idiot will actually lead them to Jesus. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. I'm going to argue with you online and tell you how dumb your thought process is. And then somehow I'm going to lead you to Jesus. What? If you call me dumb, I'm going to stop listening to everything else that you say. But somehow in our minds, somehow in the culture of Christianity, we believe that that's the way. I'm going to stand on the corner screaming at people with a billboard rather than loving people in their lives. Understand this. Before they can be positively aware of Jesus, they see you first. Understand. And the beauty is you can start today. When you go to the restaurant, be ridiculously kind to your server. But Danny, he didn't bring me my Diet Coke fast enough. So what? Like seriously, is, it, is a soda worth you losing influence with somebody? Like sometimes we just have to wake up. Make people positively aware of us because it will lead to something deeper. It leads us to the second point. Discipleship continues by knowing their name and praying for them, knowing their name and praying for them. This this is such a powerful thing that we learned in this this training, like just writing down someone's name that you met and praying, well, Danny, I don't don't know what to pray for. I don't know him. They're a stranger. I just met him at the restaurant. It was Steve, the waiter. Well, cool. Steve, the waiter. You, You can't pray. Hey, God, I pray that you just move in Steve, the waiter's life. That you just show up in a way that, that he sees that you're real and, and that you can help him with whatever he's aggravated. That simple of a prayer is powerful. Since 2005, I have had the disadvantage of people knowing my name because I've been on a stage and me not knowing theirs. And it, it leads to some really awkward interactions sometimes because people feel like they like completely know me and they're like hey Danny it's so good to see you and they just jump in and I'm like have I met you before have I not met you before I don't really know you know my name but I don't know your like names are important they matter it's reason why all throughout the bible we see people who are named getting to know someone's name and praying for them is a game changer Think, think, think about it. Have you ever been in a room with, with a bunch of people that you didn't know and all of a sudden you hear someone call your name out? And just like one person knowing your name decreases your anxiety exponentially. Know people's names and pray for them. As we were relaunching after COVID as a church, we passed out these like little mini notebooks to, to everybody in the church and we encouraged them, hey, write down the names of the people that you meet. And, and every day or every other day, just take a few minutes to pray over them. And it just, it creates this, this spiritual atmosphere. It, it just creates this mindset that your eyes are open to see the people in your life, that you're looking to learn their names and pray for them. It leads us to number three. Discipleship deepens through relationship. They know your name. You know their name. You share a meal together, you grab coffee together, your kids play together. The conversation moves past and deeper than, man, it's, it's getting hot outside. 
Oof. Did you, did you see the Padres game last night or last week or one of these days? Like, it, it moves into something deeper. All of a sudden, the transparency is built about work struggles or family tension or personal challenges. And you have the opportunity to say to them, hey, you know what? I've actually been praying for you. Like, you didn't know it, but I wrote your name down when we first met. And like, just every once in a while, I just pray that, that God would do something in your life, that God would help you out. So I, I, would, I would love to pray for you with this situation at work or pray for you with this situation with your, your wife or your husband, with your kids. Like, I'll continue to pray. And now I know what to pray specifically about. Like, it changes everything. And number four, relationship leads to spiritual conversations. Relationship leads to spiritual conversations. It, it's through all of this that we get to this place that we can begin to talk about Jesus. You can talk about how you lean on Jesus and you connect with him when you're in those moments of, of crisis and chaos and, and how he handles it. You see, so many times we run away from discipleship because we assume that we have to jump straight to, have, have you made a proclamation of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? It's like, what? What? I don't want to go. Wait, what? Connect with people. Be kind to people. Learn their name and pray for them. Build a relationship. Go to coffee with them. Have them over for dinner. Go on a play date. Go walk your dogs together and just be in relationship with people. And as the dust from your feet begins to stir up as you're moving towards Jesus, it will get on their lives. It's so simple. So many times we, we assume that we have to be the one who plants the seed in their life and we have to water it and we have to make sure that it grows perfectly and that, that we have to be the person who eventually like has that prayer moment with them where we lead them to Jesus. But you have to understand that you can't control the growth of the seed, but you can tend to the health of the soil. You can't make someone love Jesus. But you can be in their life where you, you tend to the soil in the way that makes their heart more receptive to Jesus than it was before they met you. It's a challenge for us moving forward. Family, you were called to make disciples as you go about this journey. You were called to this. So ask yourself, who am I taking with me on this journey? Who am I making positively aware of me and making them positively aware of Jesus? Who am I learning their names and praying for them? Who am I building relationship with? Who am I having spiritual conversations with? Here's the scary part. If you look around and there's no one who's picking up the dust from your feet, it's time to stop. It's time to open our eyes. It's time to, to get our sight off of our own issues and recognize that you were called to go and make disciples. It doesn't say go and change their lives. Go and put this pressure on yourself. It just says as you go about this journey, 
there should be someone alongside of you. And if there's not, Jesus is challenging you today to open your eyes. The harvest is plenty, but those who will make disciples are few. I believe God is calling you today to take a deeper step in this faith journey and recognize whose life you can be impacted. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this challenge. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that in, in these moments where we overcomplicate it, we, we make this so much harder than it needs to be. I pray, Jesus, that you would just inspire us to recognize that discipleship is simply moving toward you. That as we do that, as we move toward you, Jesus, that we have the opportunity to bring people alongside of us through these simple ways of, of connecting, being kind and, and praying for people and, and building relationship and having conversations and looking for those spiritual moments where we can, we, we can go a little bit deeper in the conversation with those that we've, we've had some time with. Jesus, would you open our eyes to see? Open our eyes to see the way that you're wanting to use us. But Jesus, I pray right now for this overwhelming willingness within the people who are hearing us today. That we would be marked like the disciples were marked with this willingness to follow wherever you lead, follow wherever you want us to go. That we'd be willing to impact the lives of the people that you've placed in our lives. And Jesus, I am so incredibly thankful that you have invited us into this journey. And I pray that as we take steps towards you, that you would help us to bring people along the way with us. We pray all of this in your strong, in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.